The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and 1077 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's just been another interesting week in technology. Uh, Somebody has been hacking Western Digital MyBook hard drives and have been wiping out all the data with a factory reset. So uh, we'll tell you what you have to do to protect your drive in case you could be a victim. NVIDIA released a great new app called the Canvas app. You just kind of do a cartoony drawing and it turns it into a painting. It's an amazing app. I really enjoyed looking at that thing. Crypto Wave has reached El Salvador. There's a beach town in El Salvador that is now adopting adopting a Bitcoin as the official currency. And El Salvador is accepting Bitcoin as well as dollars as the official currency of the country. Um, the government has no explanation on UFOs. The The much-awaited report is finally out, and they admit they don't know what causes them. And the big news of the week, the court has rejected the Baltimore spy plane program. (laughs) This week, we're going to feature Brian Armstrong. He's best known as co-founder of Coinbase, a cryptocurrency trading company. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the professional Mr. Big Voice. Wait a minute, we got him fooled. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Well, well, you know, Bob in Maryland's been away for a couple weeks, so maybe he's lost track. True. In 1948, Professor Tom Kilborn ran a testing program for on the first stored program computer, SSEM. It took 32 minutes to run. And Coburn then proceeded to propose <laughs> modifications to another early computer, the ENIAC. Uh, I checked out the Stratford University Tech Talk website, and it does not appear you featured Kilburn on Profiles in IT. Is that possible? I cannot believe that you missed the, featuring this guy. Oh, anyway, my God. All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, that is a great suggestion. I'm going to feature him in a future show. He's done. A, he's actually contributed to the early development of five um, revolutionary computers back in the beginning of the computer age. We got an email from Tukin Chantilly. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently heard how to hide my friends list from the public on Facebook. I thought it was a good idea, so I followed the instructions and hid mine. But I just found out that all my friends can see a list of friends we have in common, called our mutual friends. The problem is I'm friends with several people that are very jealous of me, and they are upset if I'm friends of other people. I just as soon hide my mutual friends list so they don't know who I'm friends with at all. 
Is there any way to hide our mutual friends list? Uh, you know, I just really do love to do that, Tuk and Chantilly. Unfortunately, Tuk, there's no way to do that. There's no setting that will prevent your Facebook friends from seeing who your mutual friends are. I mean, you can easily hide your friends list from strangers, but the problem is your friends, if you share your postings with friends and your timeline with friends, and you've got other people posting your timeline, they're going to see their name anyway in the timeline. So Facebook decided there wasn't much point to hiding mutual friends, so they don't even give that as an option. You've got no choice but to just make nice with both groups of friends. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Doc Jim and the elusive Mr. Big Voice. Oh, we got another email from Bob in Maryland. I came across this recent news that seems to be a high store scam associated with Bitcoin. Bitcoin exchange founders missing after hack. So is $3.6 billion. This is the biggest hikes in the short history of cryptocurrencies. What do you think, Doc? All the best. Your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, this, this, was, this heist did make the news. Uh, there were two brothers, Amir and Raiz Kaji. They started AfriCrypt in South Africa in 2019. Now, the company provided users with updates on cryptocurrency trading and allowed them to create portfolios, portfolios of cryptocurrency investments. By April of last year, AfriCrypt had purchased 69,000 Bitcoins, which is roughly $4 billion for its customers. Amir, the COO, then informed last week uh, that AfriCrypt had been hacked and all the crypto had been stolen. He asked the clients not to report this to the authorities since it would delay the recovery process. A little fishy. Now, a few suspicious clients contacted attorneys to look into the matter. But the Kehi brothers were untraceable. And they were under being traced down by the Federal Crimes Unit. Further investigation found that AfriCrypt employees had lost access to the back-end platform seven days before the alleged hack. South Africa's financial regulator, Finance Sector Authority, does not consider cryptocurrency to fall under its jurisdiction. Therefore, they're going to do nothing. Now, the fact is, uh, Bob, blockchain technologies are really good for the world. And, and cryptocurrencies are a necessary fuel that allows you to pay people that validate the blockchain. So it's good for the world and it's a good thing to do. However, uh, it is true, regulation has not caught up with the technology. And I think blockchain technology and crypto is a little bit under-regulated. And I think that's going to have to be fixed, especially this, these distributed finance applications based on based on blockchain, are going to need to be regulated. And the SEC is looking at that. And so what we have here is a case where an unregulated site fell between the cracks and nobody's going after these guys. And I, I suspect they did get away with $3.6 billion. That's, uh, and there's not much their clients can do about it. We got an email from Caleb in Ashburn. Their tech talk, I just bought a new Chromebook. And to my amazement, there's no delete key on the keyboard. What's up with that? Caleb and Ashburn. Well, Caleb, uh, when Google uh, made the decision to design Chrome, Chromebook, they wanted to streamline 
the keyboard and they reduced keys that they thought weren't necessary. And the delete key was one of the victims. They got rid of it. Now, Google does provide a way to do delete. Now, we already know if you want to delete a character to the left of the cursor, you can just hit the backspace key. But suppose you want to delete a character to the right of the cursor. That would normally be the delete key. But now you have to hit Alt backspace. So if you hold down the Alt key and backspace, it's equivalent to the old delete key. Uh, but I, I never really got used to that whole Alt backspace in place of the delete key. I, I, I miss the delete key on the Chromebook. We got an email from Alan in Glen Allen. <laughs> How convenient. It is very Glen Allen. <laughs> Dear Tech Talk, what's the difference between Windows 10 and Windows 11? Uh, I just got used to Windows 10, and now I've heard there's going to be a Windows 11. What's going on, Alan in Glen Allen? Well, Alan, Microsoft is up, has been updating Windows 10 for years, and they gave us the impression that it was going to be Windows 10 forever. And I thought it was going to be Windows 10 forever. But I was woefully wrong. They're now having Windows 11, which is an entirely new operating system, and it'll be released in late 2021. Now, uh, in order for your PC to run Windows 11, it's going to have to meet some special requirements. And there's a tool that you can... Uh, that you can use to see whether it meets the special requirements. Uh, and you simply um, activate the, 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 the Windows tool, and it will tell you whether you can do that or not. The, um, the thing with Windows 11 is that uh, they developed it during the pandemic. It's really kind of interesting. They were going to come out with a Windows 10X and a very like a dual screen version, a triple screen version. They were announcing before, and then all the Microsoft teams started working from home, and they realized that Windows didn't really support everything they wanted to do with remote work, and so they actually improved their remote work environment by developing a new operating system. So Windows 11 is sort of the product of the pandemic in a way, and they actually scrapped the Windows 10X and came out with the Windows 11. Now you've, you've got to have, uh, I mean, if you have a Windows 7 machine that you bought with Windows 7, chances are it's not going to meet the Windows 11 requirements because uh, they've got upgraded CPU requirements. They've got, uh, you have to have the, you, you actually have to support the uh, TPM chip, which is a uh, an encryption chip, which actually, provides uh, security. And uh, so most of the Windows 7 era machines will not be eligible for window, Windows 11. Now, Windows has the free PC Health app. So you can just search for Windows PC Health app. You can download it and check whether, uh, whether your device will meet the Windows 11 requirements. I did that this morning on my device. And I discovered that my laptop will not meet the Windows 11 requirements, unfortunately. Ruh -ruh. So I'm a little, I'm a little uh, bent out of shape over that. I'm going I'm to get a new laptop because I want to have Windows 11 running on my machine. Now, it, the people that have looked at the Windows 11 say it's awfully, it looks a lot like Mac. It's got a lot of Mac operating features. It allows you to, oh, it allows you to support uh, multiple applications running at the same time. Probably the most significant thing with Windows 11 is that it will run Android apps, 
What, uh, what Microsoft wants to do is make Windows more open. They want to make it so that it will run the apps of everybody. They want to get rid of these walled gardens, say, between Google and Apple and Microsoft. So they want this to become the platform that will run everybody's application. So Android apps will install right from the Microsoft store. The other thing that Microsoft is doing there, they're not putting this, this really strict hold on taking 30% of the revenue, and they will let you generate revenue outside of the Microsoft ecosystem. So, they're, so developers should like that, and I would think Apple would not like it because this is a, a different business model. They, um, they scrapped Skype. So Skype is not going to be installed as the default application, and they're now pushing Windows, uh, Microsoft Teams and that's what they used when they were when they were working off uh, you know off site. The the start menu has been simplified. These live tiles where you can drag things around on the live tiles in the start menu have been eliminated. Um, now updates will be forty percent smaller, and Windows will install them in the background. And the and the taskbar has all kind of widgets on it, similar to uh, the Mac. So it's got a pretty good look and feel. And this is meant to be an entirely new operating system. Now. If you decide you don't want to upgrade to Windows 11, they will support Windows 10 until October 14th, 2025, at which time you really need to switch to something else. So you've got a pretty good runtime here, about four years before uh, Windows 10 will die from lack of support. So it's not really a catastrophe if you can't get Windows 11, but it is coming. And I think it will be an improvement for the, for the user, particularly for the remote user. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria. They're talking, Jim. I went to the mall this morning, and when I got home, my phone wasn't in my purse. I checked everywhere. I called the store. Gone. Can't find it. I'm not too concerned about the phone. It's an old straight talk phone that I was planning to replace anyway. Not worth that much. But the email talk phones. was open. Aren't those like one of those pay for, uh, pay for the minutes as you go? Yeah. I could, yeah. So it's kind of like a burner for- phone. She's got a burner yeah, like- phone. It's like a burner phone. I don't. I don't think Alice was using a burner phone for drug deals, though. She said. She said I left my Gmail account open. I'm afraid somebody just opened up the phone because I don't have any password, and they can just go through all my Gmail stuff. And I got a lot of sensitive info and sensitive photos in my emails. Whoa! And I really don't want anybody else to see them. Is there any way to use my computer to remotely sign out of Gmail on the lost phone, Alice? Well, Alice, actually, it is pretty easy to do. You can. Sign out. Uh, you can sign out your Gmail account from your phone. You want to log into your Gmail account on your computer. Then there's you've got your little profile photo up a right. Click on that, and then you'll be a drop-down menu. Click on Manage Google Account, and then click on the security link in the left column, and scroll down to your devices. Uh, you, you, and you'll see your device listed there. I don't know how you named it. You'll see your device listed. If 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 you don't if there's not a list there under devices, you might have to click the plus sign to sort of expand the list. Now, when you go down to your device, click on it, and a little menu will come up, and and uh, and then one of the items on the menu is sign out. And so you simply click sign out on that device, and it will it's signed out. That's all there is to it, Carrie. And you'll be out. You'll be logged out of your Gmail account on that phone, and nobody will be able to uh, to get anything 
in your email. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech... You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Why am I playing two songs at once? There we go. (laughs) We're on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, 107.7 FM HD2 Southwest of D.C., and in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. Follow us on Twitter at WFED Fed Talk. And if you'd like to know more about the programs at Stratford University, go to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Brian Armstrong. Brian Armstrong is a computer scientist best known as co-founder of Coinbase, a cryptocurrency trading company. Armstrong was born January 25th, 1983, near San Jose, California. Now, he had a real entrepreneurial streak from the very beginning. I mean, he was always trying to start company, or well, even in grade school. He was hauled into the principal's office on charges <laughs> of operating an unauthorized candy reselling company on the playground. On charges of... <laughs> It's like a crime. It's like a crime. Well, you see, at that school, they were locking down the candy machine so the kids could be healthy. They didn't have to eat salad at lunch. God. Well, there was a need for candy. Of course there is. So he met the need. He he talked to his clients, and they said, we need candy. So he had an unauthorized selling operation out in the playground. Now, while in high school, he uh, he started learning Java and... um, Cascading Style Sheet, CSS. This is a way to format web pages uh, because he developed an interest in computer technology. He got his first paying job while in high school where he was designing websites. Uh, actually, these were little contracting jobs. Uh, he was designing websites for small-scale businesses in the area of San Jose. He attended Rice University in Texas. He earned a tool degree. Uh, both in economics and in computer science in 2005. 
That was followed with a master's degree in computer science in 2006. Now, the reason he got both economics and computer science dual degree is that he always knew that he wanted to start a business. And he wanted to start it in some sort of computer-related field. I think he had just, he had retired from the candy distribution uh, arena and had moved to computer science. Did he have to go into witness protection after that? No, I think he I think he survived. They didn't they didn't kick him out of school. Uh, <laughs> but but here's the thing: he could he discovered that he could leave the school grounds by just a foot or so, and then he could sell candy out there, and they couldn't stop him. So there was a workaround. Uh, he, uh, at Rice University, he, he had got an internship with IBM in San Jose, where he designed Java-based tools for network-attached storage devices. While he was in school, um, he started a company called UniversityTutor.com, and he was still a junior there. He co-founded it with a classmate of his, John Nelson, and they wrote a website that helped tutors create a tutoring enterprise and offer their services to potential students. So tutors would go online. They would show their experience, what they're good at tutoring. Parents could go online and they could select a tutor and they could negotiate through the uh, website for tutoring services. And that was actually a really needed service back in the day because it was hard for potential tutors who were college students to communicate with parents. So that was quite successful. He actually stayed with universitytutor.com for eight years uh, until May of t 2012 when he when he started doing Coinbase. So that was that was a that was a profitable company, and he you know, and he stayed with it for eight years. Now, after graduation, he he you know he was still working on tutor.com. He said, "Well, you know, I got this I got this tutor.com gig." He decided to take a gap year before he started working. He went down to Buenos Aires. And he and he and he continued to work on Tutor.com, and while he was down there, uh, he noticed the effects of hyperinflation in Argentina. This is when the government just keeps spending and spending and spending, and they don't really have; they just print money to do it. And and there was hyperinflation there. And he says, "Man, you need a currency here that's more stable." That was the first time he sort of saw the value of stability in currency. When he returned to the U.S., he got a job at Deloitte & Touche as an enterprise risk management consulting. The big turnaround for Brian Armstrong was in 2010, he came across the white paper published under the alias name of Satoshi Nakamoto, which laid out the framework for Bitcoin and blockchains. And that, that paper is very well written and easily read. You don't, you don't have to be a, a, uh, a, a, any kind of security expert to read that paper. It's very well written, and it communicates quite well the underlying principles and power of blockchain. And uh, he started thinking about distributed uh, ledgers and... Uh, sort of thinking about cryptocurrency as it relates to the stability of a currency and how do you get around the problems of hyperinflation like they had in Argentina. Now, in 2011, he joined Airbnb as a software engineer. And then he got a further exposure to currencies in other countries because they operate in 190 countries. 
And he saw the difficulties of sending money around the world. Like, it was hard to send money to South America. Uh, it was hard to, I mean, there were so many restrictions on transferring money internationally. He says, man, in addition to hyperinflation problems with our current financial system, you've got transfer problems between the different banking systems. So he began to realize there was a real need for cryptocurrency. Now, and he started thinking about that 2010 paper. Now, the problem was back then in 2012, it was not possible for the average Joe Blow to get a Bitcoin wallet. I mean, people didn't even know how to how to approach it. So he started writing code on weekends at nights in Ruby and JavaScript uh, for buying and storing crypto coins. He started developing his own method of his basically his own cryptocurrency exchange and <clears throat> creating wallets and and so. He was, this, this is what he was doing. This is the importance of his work. He was doing for, for the Bitcoin network what the earlier generation of programmers had done for the internet by creating browsers. I mean, before we had a browser, the average Joe Blow didn't know what to do with the internet. You had file transfer protocol. You could upload files, download files. But there was no, I mean, there was nothing like surfing the web. It wasn't until browsers were invented that the internet became accessible to non-technical people. He wanted to make the Bitcoin network accessible to non-technical people, just like the browser made the internet accessible. That was his mission. In 2012, he entered Y Combinator, which was a startup accelerator. He got $150,000 in investment seed money, and he founded Coinbase along with a friend, Fred Erstrom. Erstrom. Or some Fred Ursum. Close enough. I'd, I'd say that's close enough. Yeah. As a way, and it was as a way to, uh, it was a platform to trade bitcoins and other digital currencies. Armstrong was the first CEO. Now, the grand vision for Coinbase was to be a gateway to decentralized finance for all, of all sorts. Now, the revenue for now is coming from mundane things like trading commissions. But Brian thinks, that the distributed ledger and decentralized finance is going to transform the business world. If you have decentralized finance, you can impose rules without, without having a central authority. It's going to take government out of the, the, the center of everything. It will take banks out of the center of everything. Now, you will have to regulate it somehow. But there's not going to be a regulating authority in the middle of every transaction. And he thinks that is the real power of distributed networks. And that's his long-term goal. Right now, they're making money just by trading cryptocurrency. Now, obviously, he had a good idea. By 2016, 4.7 million people had accounts on Coinbase. By 2017, 13.3 million people had accounts on Coinbase. In 2018, the, um, the, uh, he received another funding round of investment of $100 million. They valued the company at $8.1 billion. In, 20, in December of 2020, the company filed with the ACC to go public through a direct listing. Following the direct listing in April of 2021, Coinbase's market cap was $85 billion. And Armstrong's net worth 
exceeded $10 billion. That's not bad, Jim. Nope, not at all. I'll take it. He started that in 2012, and by 2021, uh, he was worth personally $10 billion. Now, Armstrong appeared in the 2014 American documentary, The Rise and the Rise of Bitcoin. Armstrong is self-funded and founded a scientific research site called The Research Hub. It's modeled after GitHub, which is a code repository, and it's a way of making research papers available to the public. See, there's a problem with these research journals. That's a little dirty secret. They, they'll publish it for free, but they don't allow access for free. Once you publish in the journal, they copyright it, and you cannot share your paper publicly. And the scientific community hates that, so they're trying to break the, the hold of the research journals. I mean, I mean, the reason they do that is the only way they, they can publish it for free is because the journals are expensive to subscribe to, and that's their revenue model. And there's probably going to have to be a different revenue model for research papers. So he was trying to break that with Research Hub. Now, Armstrong wrote in a post, he's also a little controversial in September 2020, he called Coinbase a mission-focused company. They're focusing on the mission of making distributed finance available to the world. And he discourages in the marketplace political activism and discussions of political and social issues at work. He felt that all of the socialization of the IT sector, particularly Silicon Valley, was highly disruptive to the, to the businesses, and it was just a distraction. He said, we have to focus on our mission. You want to have some sort of social activities, social activities where you, you know, are advocating for a particular cause, do that outside of work. Well, that was um, highly controversial in the tech community. People said, well, you just can't do that. So then Armstrong said, look, if anybody doesn't want to follow that rule, I'll give you a very, um, a very uh, generous severance package and you can move on. <laughs> and, and the people that remain, we're going to be apolitical. I kind of like this guy because I, I think the corporations have gotten to be a little too woke and it's just, uh, it's just a distraction in a way. So 60 people left Coinbase and, uh, and 120 stayed. They had an employee base of 180. 60 left. And, and he found 60 more that were willing to come there because they make good money. They got stock options and they just talk politics at home rather than work. Mm -hmm. Not a bad, not a bad trade off. I kind of like his courage. Now, I mean, now he it's not that he's not a liberal because he had advocated for many liberal causes. But but he decided that it was highly disruptive to the workforce to do that. So he just ended it himself. And he just ended it for the company. I, I thought that was a that that required real leadership to make that decision. In 2017, at age 34, Armstrong was ranked 10th on the Forbes 40 under 40 list, the top the top 40 under 40. In 2019, he was named to Time Magazine's 100 Next list. In 2021, Forbes named Armstrong number one on its crypto rich list. <laughs> Never heard of that list no. before, the crypto rich list. I'm not on that one, I can assure you. Uh, they estimated his net worth at that time at, at, at $6.5 billion. That was February of 2021. They hadn't had the IPO yet. After the IPO, that, that $6.5 went up to more than $10 billion. In 2018, 
Armstrong was the first cryptocurrency executive to sign the Giving Pledge. This had been uh, this was the pledge developed by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, that pl- where you pledge to give the bulk of your wealth away before you die to philanthropy and, and various causes. He signed that in 2018, and the first of the crypto billionaires to do that. He also set up a philanthropic effort called GiveCrypto.org, which it allows people to make public or autonomous donations to help others living in poverty. So this guy is actually pretty interesting. He has a mission. He's very focused on the mission, and he wants to give. But he doesn't want to politicize his life too much. I, I kind of like this guy. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Brian Armstrong, the co-founder of Coinbase. Excellent. Hope you were paying attention because your chance to win free prizes. Come up when we play the pop quiz on Federal News Network on Tech Talk. Heard every Saturday at 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2. 1077 FM HD2 Southwest of DC, Loudoun County. You can listen to us on 104.5 FM. Also heard to the north and west of 103.9 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and how you can attend by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you. Oh, I just love this part of the show. I know you do. My favorite part of the show. And yes, so do indeed. they, because and everybody is the... so excited about the about the pop quiz. The yeah. audience is really exactly. excited. Because, because this the... is simply not a, a, a radio show. Classroom of the Airways is what we call it. Right. And our class and our studio audience has to learn, and we do that with a pop quiz. Now, you know, I want to ask you, 
Is the studio audience allowed to participate in the pop quiz, or can you only call in? You can only call in because we have discussed the winning uh, question and answer in the studio. And they've heard that. There's no cone of silence in the studio in order to shield them from that that valuable information. Very perceptive of you, Jim. Yes. Well, earlier in the show, I talked about Brian Armstrong, co founder of Coinbase, uh, the cryptocurrency exchange. He, of course, was an entrepreneurial from the entrepreneur from the very beginning. Even in grade school, he had a little business, but he got in trouble with the principal about that business. What was his grade school business? If you know the answer to today's question, pick up your phone, give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies, 877-936-9333. Standing next to a pile of empty J&J files east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're storing crypto coins in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized using Reese's Pieces. Mask use optional, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Yes, let's talk about the app of the week now. Yes. NVIDIA Canvas app. This is actually an amazing app. I, I was, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, it requires the NVIDIA RTX GPU graphic processing unit. Mike, Mike, my laptop doesn't have an RTX GPU. So um, I think when I get the new laptop for Windows 11, I'm going to get one with an RTX GPU. But I was watching people use this app. Uh, uh, and it started back, NVIDIA had this back in 2019. They revealed what they called the smart paintbrush tool that, that looked like magic. Now, t- they kept working on it, and they finally have brought out the full, uh, uh, all-new Canvas app. It's in beta now, but you can actually uh, download it. And what you do, you kind of doodle, and you, you might draw something that looks like a mountain or a tree, just as a doodle, and it will turn it into a painting. What they've done, they've used artificial intelligence to look at other paintings and photographs as training material. And you just give the software a hint of what you're thinking, and it will turn it into a painting. And so I was watching, it lets you paint by, uh, it, you know, you can paint rocks or trees or clouds. And it's very easy to make lifelike paintings that look like you spent hours doing them. It's an amazing app. Uh, this is the thing. Artificial intelligence is transforming everything, uh, almost all fields. And what they did, they used uh, a database of literally millions of paintings, uh, and they trained it on that data set. So now you just give hints, and it will pull from its knowledge base a picture that you've got. And it would be, you know, in, in a sense, original artwork because you're doing the doodles. So this this makes art available to almost anyone. Okay. Let's we talk- do, we do, actually, we do not have a winner yet. Let's do this. Why don't you ask the question again? We'll go to break, come back, and do the observations in the bunker, and then move on from there. Okay. Earlier in the show, I talked about Brian Armstrong, co-founder of Coinbase. He was an entrepreneur at heart. He started a little business in grade school, and he ran that business out on the playground, and he got in trouble. What was that business? And once again, the number to call is? 
877-936-9333. This is Tech Talk Radio. You are listening on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of DC, 1077 FM HD 2, and you can hear us on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Also learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. I think you can leave the door open now. You know, I do. I, I'm almost ready to leave the bunker, Jim. During the week now that we have no mask mandate, the, yeah. I leave the bunker door open. That's great. The, Air I it can, out. Uh, you know, it I must can, smell pretty bad after 15 months. It's, it, it's been rough. Yeah, at least now <laughs> now I can listen to the birds and I can hear the, the waves crashing. It's really nice. That's, that's I was thinking this week, and you know, we talked about Coinbase, the cryptocurrency exchange. So the thing is, is cryptocurrency and our blockchains for real? I mean, for instance, uh, in the last uh, five weeks, uh, Bitcoin has lost half its value. It, um, you know, like in in January of 2021, it was around, say, $12,000. And it shot up to $68,000 for one Bitcoin. And then it crashed down to $30,000. I don't know what it is this morning. It might be $32,000, hovering around thirty. dollars lost about half its value. Mm. And... uh, and so did Ethereum do that. And so the question is, is it, is it for real? I mean, it's, it's so highly uh, manipulated. What, what happened was, uh, as it was running up, it was kind of a bubble when you look back on it. Uh, Elon Musk, he bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And then he announced that Tesla would accept Bitcoin. And when they announced that, the price even went up higher. Uh, Elon Musk made about a billion dollars out of that. He he then sold Bitcoin, making about a billion dollars. After he sold his Bitcoin, he says, well, actually, because Bitcoin uses too much energy in the the mining, we're not all going to take Bitcoin at Tesla. And the price price crashed. At the same time, China 
crackdown on Bitcoin miners. China said they will not allow any of the state banks to handle uh, handle cryptocurrency transactions. And then it went down even further. And then just this week, there were a whole lot of crypto options that expired. And people were, you know, they were obviously options where people had bet that crypto, that the, the, um, the price would go up, but actually it went down, so they didn't exercise the option. And so those expired, and as soon as all those, ex and there was like a lot of uh, options expiring, the, uh, the market crashed even further. So people are saying, well, is this thing for real or not? Well, so that's what I was, I was thinking about this week. Uh, the fact is, uh, cryptocurrencies are probably not a good currency speculation vehicle. I mean, you can see it, they're, they're so- uh, Volatile? They're volatile and they're they're subject to whims and because they have no intrinsic value, so they're subject to whims and and it's all supply and demand. So if if more people want to buy Bitcoin than want to sell it, the price goes up. If more people want to sell it than want to buy it, the price goes down. It's just purely supply and demand. But the uh, but cryptocurrencies have a real value in that they take central banks out of the picture. The reason that China hates Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is that they don't control the currency. They can't set the value of the currency. It's outside of the communist control. And they hate it because they want to control everything. Um, so in that regard, it's a good thing. And I think the crypto miners are going to move out of China and move on. I think what we saw was rampant speculation. You know what they say? They say the, uh, you know, the bulls make money and the pigs get slaughtered. I think a lot <laughs> of pigs came in there. A lot of pigs came in there and bought on the speculation peak. And there was, you know, all this hype around Elon Musk and all these other things. And then that speculation peak just crashed. But if you look at it, it went down to $30,000. It was $12,000 at the beginning of the year. So if you just get rid of that little speculation bubble, it's just been kind of on a nice uptick ramp since the first of the year. And you just you just can't get caught up in the speculation. You're going to you're going to you're, you're, you're going to get slaughtered. There's no doubt about it. Now, we know that digital currencies make sense because countries are moving into them. The Bahama rolled out a central bank digital currency. And. Countries like Japan, China, uh, Japan, China, and Sweden are conducting experiences with their own official digital money. You see, the reason that digital money is so is so valuable is that you can transfer value over the internet. See, when the internet was set up, you you could basically uh, transfer information. You could tell somebody something, but there was no way to pay somebody directly over the internet. You'd always it would always be through an intermediary. Like you would charge a credit card company, the credit card company would uh, debit your account, then the credit card company would debit the account of the other person. So the transfer was not done via the internet, it was do done to a third party intermediary. And digital currency allows for direct transfer of value over the internet, which is extremely valuable. Uh, I think that digital currencies are basically going to make things like dollar bills obsolete. We're eventually, we're going to be all digital currencies. 
And in order to validate a digital currency transfer, you have to do without a central authority, you have to have a, a blockchain that is validated by independent people. And you have to pay those validators something and you pay them in, in, a, in, in a cryptocurrency. And that's the, they call that the gas that runs the distributed ledger. Now, even transactions like buying a car or buying a house could soon be managed through computer programs run on a cryptocurrency platform. Digital tokens representing money and other assets could ease electronic transactions. For one thing, they are, uh, the, the transfers are a lot cheaper. To transfer money internationally is a very expensive endeavor, but if you transfer it directly using digital currency, it's, it's very cheap. Now, the issue is regulation. Because if, if you have uh, something which is uh, unregulated, I mean, just like the case of those, those guys absconded with $3.6 billion worth of cryptocurrency, and the, and the bank said that's outside of their purview, uh, there need to be regulations. Um, and if you remember, our banking system at one point was very unstable. Remember, remember the Great Depression when the banks failed? Not and personally, people, I don't People remember. had to run on, well, I don't remember it directly, Jim, but I, I heard about it. Yeah, I know. The, uh, the bank, there was a run on the banks and mm. the banks failed. And so uh, the banks were not regulated. They, they were investing in, in higher risk securities. And then those securities crashed when the stock market crashed. Then the banks did, didn't have the resources to, uh, you know, to cover the demand. And then the banks collapsed and people lost their money. And so... The banking system back in the 20s was sort of like the cryptocurrency situation. No, it wasn't sufficiently regulated. And then the FDIC came along and they put in regulations that banks could not invest in stocks. They had to invest in secure things. Banks had to have so much money in reserve. And there were certain constraints that were put on banks that, that would make them safer vehicles. And then the, the federal government said, and if the bank follows these guidelines, they'll be FDIC insured. And if they do fail and they follow these guidelines, the deposits of the depositors will be guaranteed by the federal government. So that was a solution to the unstable banking system. I think there's going to be something like that come along. But I'm telling you, blockchain cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Now, maybe Bitcoin won't be the winner, although it's, it was the first one. It was the proof of principle. I think this technology is extremely valuable to the world, and it's not going to go away. Maybe it'll be Dogecoin. Because, yeah, Dogecoin. Because the, I, I don't think those so. Those things are so, you know, the, the, the dog or whatever the thing is so yeah. attractive. How long do you think this will take before you, the dollar bill in your wallet is a relic? I'd say in five years. Really? That's soon. I think it'll be five years, yeah. I mean, mm. the, the speed of development in cryptocurrency is, is absolutely amazing. I mean, what Coinbase did, I mean, anybody can, can get an account in Coinbase. Now, now the, and Coinbase has, uh, they, they, they store their, uh, their cryptocurrency in a cold wallet, which means it can't be hacked. It's not connected to the internet. And, and they hold so much in reserve. So they're sort of self-regulated. So... Brian Armstrong wanted to become a very safe uh, alternative for, pe for people to, uh, to uh, you know, to keep their cryptocurrency. Now, their fees are a little high because there's a lot of infrastructure he supported. But I, it's now easy. You, you can transfer money out of your bank account into, into these cryptocurrencies. Now, the, the problem is 
is that people can get like say with Dogecoin, they can, they can get they, they they can go berserk on this thing trying trying to chase a peak and then lose lose a lot of money, and you can buy options. I mean, there was one guy that was speculating on cryptocurrencies and he bought options, and uh, and um, no, he was he was buying he was buying them on the margin. He was he was putting down ten percent and buying it on a margin, which means if it goes down, you 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 you're putting at risk ten times your investment. He was buying it on margin. And the cryptocurrency came along, and he was notified by the bank he owed seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oops! And the, yeah, I mean, it ruined him financially. He ended mm. up committing suicide. That guy. Oh, that's awful. So the so the, the problem is it's it's now easy for anybody to invest in these things. Now we just have to find uh, ways to regulate it. Like what say in the stock market, if uh, when you go to a stockbroker or a money manager. If there's like a high risk speculative stock and you don't have sufficient financial wherewithal to lose everything you're investing in the stock, they're not allowed to let you invest in it. So there's there's a certain degree of tempering that goes on with our with our stock That's investment good. methods mm -hmm. that I think is really good. So that I think it's just going to have to to grow up, but it's I'm telling you distributed finance is going to take over the world and you know, a lot of uh, uh, we'll have smart contracts. OK, right now, for instance, you buy something, say you buy a house and then you have to deliver that has to meet and spec. And then after everything is done, the real estate agent has held the payment in escrow and then he transfers it to you. So you could have a smart contract that as soon as all the conditions of the sale are sold, the money's automatically transferred and you don't have the real estate agent. So smart contracts might eliminate real estate agents. I mean, you might. So there, there's going to be distributed. There are also uh, distributed companies where, where workers work on smart contracts, and when they achieve the results of their smart contract, they get paid. And the whole company is basically a collection of autonomous workers linked together by smart contracts around the world. And there are just all kinds of variations on this, this distributed finance. I don't know. I don't think we understand where it's all going to go, mm -hmm. but it's something big, and it is transforming finance. And it's not just speculating on Bitcoin. Now let's talk briefly about this Western digital hack. I guess we I guess we got nobody interested in our in well, our pop quiz. We've stumped everybody. We've well, nobody knows the answer. That's that's okay. Well, that's okay. We'll try again well, you next know, week. We don't want to make it too easy, Jim. <laughs> no, we don't want to make it too easy. I mean that's after right. we have to prove that you're paying attention. That's right. We don't want to make it as easy as Reese's Pieces on the uh, on the uh, on the playground. <laughs> now we got we got. Let's talk about this Western Digital My Book. Now this this these are really great. I love these Western Digital My Books. These are uh, hard drives that you USB hard drives. They are anywhere from two terabytes to twenty four terabytes, <clears throat> and you can uh, plug them into your computer. But more. Importantly, you, you can connect to the cloud using the MyCloud function, and you can put all your digital photos on a, on a hard drive at home, and you can access it. You could be visiting someone. You could access your photos on the, um, through the cloud, and you could look at, look at your hard drive. Now, that was really convenient to use. But when, but when you're connected to the cloud, you've got security issues. Now, this week, people started posting on Western Digital's forums that their data was being wiped out. Hmm. was just being wiped out. Western Digital would not answer any press requests. 
but they confirmed in a statement that the device's internet connectivity was that allowed them to be remotely wiped by somebody who could <laughs> hack in to the Western digital cloud and remotely wipe somebody's hard drive without that person's permission. So they were recommending that users disconnect their Western digital MyBook Live hard drives from the internet. That Western Digital determined that some of MyBook Live and MyBook Live Duo devices are being compromised through exploitation of remote command execution vulnerability. In some cases, this compromise has led to a factory reset that appears to reset all the, all the data on the devices. Now, the last firmware update that these devices had was in 2015. So I suspect there's going to be another firmware update coming out for these devices. In the meantime, if you've got such a device, disconnect from the Internet. Now, El Salvador... Well, so no, let's do the no explanation for UFOs. That's Go for it. More. Yeah. The government has issued a report about USOs. And they said in the report they have no explanation for all, nearly all of the scores of unidentified aerial uh, phenomena that they've seen over the last two decades. The official document gathered data since 2004. It was released by the Office of Director of National Intelligence. Of those 29 reports of un 21 reports of unknown phenomena involving 18 episodes, they demonstrate that the, that these that these unidentified objects had technical capabilities that are unknown to the United States. Object moving without observable promotion or with <laughs> rapid acceleration that is believed to be beyond the capacity of Russia, China, or other terrestrial nations. There's no evidence of any episode involving secret. American weapons. The nine-page document fails to draw a conclusion, but we have to do something about it. Listen, we love your emails. We I do. want you to. You can email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We uh, get back. Doc, I actually, I kind of, I kind of must have confused you. I was playing the X Files theme. You got a couple more. Actually, now we got to wrap it up. Sorry okay. about that. Oh, now we, we got to go. The X Files. Okay. Yeah. Now well, there is the right music to say goodbye go. to. There we go. So anyway. Uh, Stay tuned. The government is going to ask to find out something about UFOs. Check out our website at www.stratford.edu and tell them that you heard about all of those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.